passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to our... WWE Elimination Chamber post show. I am John Pollock with Waiting on a Saturday evening coming out of the card in Saudi Arabia. Hello, Way. Hey, John. What's up? How you doing? Uh, not much. We have a lot to get into. A lot happened on this show. A bunch of news to get into as well. And we will also make some time for your feedback at the end of the show. So uh, just overall, Way, um, you've had a few hours to process. What did you think overall of the event today? Well, actually, I just finished it up until uh, us recording here, so it's it's still kind of fresh. But overall, uh, well, first of all, I, I want to um, encourage people to check out your podcast that you did earlier in the week with David Vixenspan and Brandon Thurston. Um, to me, it's really like the more important show to listen to when we're talking about any of these Saudi Arabia events. But I thought you three did, did a great job kind of lining out the history of, of the events up until this point in Really, it's like, you know, the, the half of the story beyond just the show itself. But that aside, we're here to talk about the actual professional wrestling product. And as a show, I thought it was an entertaining show. Um, I thought it was, you know, had a very good atmosphere. And I thought the wrestling delivered creatively uh, in ring. You know, it was a fun show. The major news coming out was the outcome that I think a lot of people expected. And that is Brock Lesnar winning the WWE Championship in the main event. But with I guess the twist of the way that they eliminated Bobby Lashley from the match. He didn't get involved at all. He was taken out of the match and the news coming out of it uh, from Kazim Femude over on the, the ringer podcast was stating that, you know, it's what he had heard was that uh, Lashley has a shoulder injury and, and could be out for some time. Uh, I have only heard about this in like the last hour or so. So I've been asking around, I cannot confirm that, but it certainly adds up when you look at uh, some of the suplexes that he took at the Royal Rumble uh, that people were concerned about during that night. And the fact he has not wrestled since the Royal Rumble, including an episode of Raw that was in Denver. And he got that, you know, in, in his hometown, no less, not even doing uh, any kind of uh, match. So um, certainly the way this was laid out was certainly would support that theory that he could be dealing with an injury. And I guess the question would be if it's ultimately um, he is going to be out for a period of time. Uh, Kazim had stated that he expects him to be out for four months, which would obviously eliminate him from WrestleMania. Yeah, well, um, that that is uh, unfortunate news, of course. And the fact that they were able to keep this hidden for as long up, up until this point is interesting. The fact that they decided to build this match so much around Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, you know, if the, the report is true that, you know, the man was never set to be an active participant in the match is also very interesting. Um you also have to look at the timeline that that rumble show that was a Saturday, the Monday they set up this whole chamber match. And what was the timeline of maybe thinking, 
How bad is the injury? Mm. Can I work through it? If there's any time of year that you're going to push through an injury, it's now. Um, but maybe it's the case that he just cannot work through this because it was the type of elimination for Lashley that, I mean, it's like they seemed like they wanted to do the most minimal physical involvement here in, in terms of taking him out. It wasn't as though they even did like a big spot to take him out or, or anything of that case. So um, it, it certainly leads leads a lot of credence that that he would be hurt. Well, watching the spot, I mean, I simply felt it was probably their way of trying to protect Bobby Lashley by having him lose the championship, not even by not getting pinned, but not being an active participant in the match at all. So he wouldn't, I mean, because it's an elimination match, he would not have to get pinned whatsoever. So in that sense, I thought booking-wise, it worked creatively. Um, If not, you know, of course, being a bit unsatisfying, given that so much of the build was for Brock's interaction with Bobby Lashley in the match. But, I mean, if there's an injury, that that's understandable as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into uh, all of it, but um, let's, go, let's go to the beginning of the show. But that was definitely the headline coming out of the show. Uh, the announcers for the card were Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxton. And we had the kickoff show featuring The Miz and Rey Mysterio. No Maurice in the corner of The Miz, but Dominic was with Ray. Very heated crowd at the beginning of this. I mean, all behind Ray, booing The Miz. Uh, Dominic uh, was in the corner and would toss Miz back into the ring. Uh, Miz got the heat for a while. And then as the referee's back was turned, Dominic threw, I guess this was his tribute to Shane McMahon, one of the worst looking punches you were going to see. Just a terrible looking punch from the floor. And Miz uh, then hits a, a DDT, sets up for the skull crushing finale, and Ray counters, sets up for the 619, hits it, teases the frog splash, and Miz is uh, crawling out. Dominic pulls a chair away from the Miz and the Miz behind the referee's back sends himself into the steps, which the referee turns around, believes that Dominic was the culprit and goes to eject Dominic. And then Ray is rammed into the corner, but counters the skull crushing finale with a roll up and Ray pins the Miz in nine minutes and 16 seconds. Miz would come back for a post-match, which got Dominic involved and they hit a double six, one, nine and both executing frog splashes on the Miz. Yeah, seemed like a fun opener. You know, very hot crowd that loved Rey Mysterio, saw him as a big superstar. And I thought The Miz played a pretty tremendous old school heel here in front of a Saudi Arabian crowd, which I think feels very much more like an old school crowd that cheers for the baby faces and boos the heels. And for some reason in these Saudi Arabia shows, typically the baby faces come out on top. They typically get more happy endings on shows um, that take place here. So the the... The notable aspect of this was later in the show when the Miz cut a promo that he was he was outnumbered by the Mysterios and he is going to go make a phone call for a superlative athlete to come. And uh, PWInsider.com was the first to note that the word going around was that this would lead to Logan Paul as the partner. And I was told that is the plan. So tag team match at WrestleMania with the Miz and Logan Paul against the Mysterios. Okay, interesting. Yeah, uh, more interaction from Logan Paul. Did he wrestle last time? I forget. He took the stunner last year. He was in Sami Zayn's corner and took the stunner from Owens. proper match. This would be, in theory, yes, an actual tag match. And I guess it'll be interesting. Like, I I hear about Jake Paul every single week. Like, there's no question that he, to me, is the, the, the bigger of the two. And Logan Paul, it just seems to me, 
um, that his his public profile has just been a lot lower since the Floyd Mayweather fight last year. And I don't know. I, I don't know if this one will be a real meaningful difference maker for WrestleMania. It's kind of an undercard feud. And to me, the best kind of celebrity involvement is kind of when you have like a big heated grudge with with stars. And this feels more like it's a, it's a cameo appearance of Logan Paul doing wrestling. But we should also see what the storyline is and how the buildup is and see if this has some substance to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of celebrity and, and relevancy, I feel like he's at least probably higher up than Johnny Knoxville, even with the, the movie out, I personally feel. But I, I also don't partake in any any of the content that either of those two really produce. So I, I'm, I might not be the target audience, I, I would think, for them. Simply having the attachment of a Paul, Paul brother who seems you know actively interested in participating in pro wrestling is is probably you know um, something that they're attracted to it's i the bar is set very high with bad bunny um i don't really anticipate the same with with the paul brother but um as a heel i think i think it could be you know it, it feels like wrestlemania like you know all all celebrities are going to be judged on the bad bunny scale like that is going to mm. kind of be the 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 high bar that has been set now that you're going to place upon a Logan Paul, the idea of just showing up and, you know, you, you've done like a week of training and can do a few spots. I think people have a higher expectation level now. Yes. Uh, so the show proper began with a one of many gigantic fireworks displays as Michael Cole, with maybe the greatest qualifier I've ever heard for a venue, welcomed us to the largest concrete dome in the world. Hmm. The sold-out show at the Jetta Superdome. The largest concrete dome, okay. Yes, hmm. yes. Is this so, the same one that's, like, um, without pillars? Yes, though they never mentioned that here. This was, like, yeah, the, the pillarless concrete dome. It's both. I mean, it's probably the la- the concrete that makes it so strong without pillars, I'm guessing. That, that is it, yes. Oh. Um. So then... Starting off the show is Roman Reigns and Bill Goldberg for the Universal Championship. And Reigns is at 537 days as champion. Comes out with the Usos and Paul Heyman. Uh, but the Usos would go to the back because they had a, a big match to prepare for. And Reigns addressed the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to acknowledge him as Goldberg makes his entrance. And they go to the floor early on. Reigns comes off the ropes and gets hit with a spear, but counters the jackhammer with a urinagi or a rock bottom-like maneuver, as Corey Graves coined it. Superman punch is delivered to Goldberg, and then Reigns calls for another spear, and Goldberg cuts him off with his own. Reigns blocks the jackhammer, applies the guillotine. They go to the mat, and Goldberg goes out at 5.59. Reigns wins in emphatic fashion uh, to go into WrestleMania and... From all accounts, including Goldberg, who had stated this could be his final WWE match. This was supposed to be the last match on his deal, unless there's there's a new one. And this, this certainly felt like this was our final match on a deal kind of booking. Mm-hmm. Sure. Although it seems it feels similar to I think most of these Goldberg matches, where I mean he he loses almost all of them. Yet, by the time the next cycle comes around, he just shows up, asks for a title match, and they grant it to him. And usually the response, you know, at least in Saudi Arabia, is is pretty decent, provided that, you know, he can pull off the performance that I think is expected of the Bill Goldberg character. And I felt like he did here. It was a, a pretty brief match, and I think the, it benefited from it. 
it was satisfying. You know, had the pace of an exciting MMA fight or heavyweight shots. If they land, you know, if, uh, if they connect, if a submission hits, the match could end at any second. It, it created that feeling. Um, I thought ahead of the match, they managed to create a pretty special feeling of two superstars. Roman being as hot as he is right now, I think certainly helped. And by the time it began, at least, you know, with this atmosphere, it felt like they achieved that dream match feeling that I think they were looking for. Um, and I thought Goldberg, you know, this was a match where he came across like Goldberg and it didn't show show any of his limitations. We never saw a jackhammer. We saw it attempted and it was cut off. But, you know, um, at this point, probably for the better. So given, I think, how much he might add in terms of star power and, and attraction to one of these Saudi cards, I can see them re-upping this deal. I, I see him, you know, with with these the cards in, in Saudi Arabia, you don't have a, a giant amount of these levels of stars. I think it really, it, it really comes down to the price tag of what you are willing to spend on a, on a bill Goldberg with the knowledge that for, for twice a year, he can mean something on these cards though. I, I do feel it is going to somewhat be less and less. We're talking about a guy who's now 55 and it's, it's very hard to play bill Goldberg when you're 55. Uh, and, and the other side of it is, uh, would would Bill Goldberg be somebody that that AEW would be intrigued by? I'm sure the answer would be yes, but for that price, I don't think he means as much uh, to an AEW fan base as. Uh, but then again, maybe you know Tony Khan at this point is not necessarily after a typical AEW fan base, and he's looking for. You, You've you got know, your great WWE workers, viewers. like you're you're buying the the star power of what, what a Goldberg brings. It's the same thing WWE is bringing. Like you're not hiring Bill Goldberg for great wrestling matches. And they've got, they've got that in droves. So th- that's part of the, that's just part of the thinking. If you're WWE, it's not just, well, we can use them or no one uses them. It's like, that comes with the fact that we, we have an alternative that is always looking for people that are going to generate interest. I'm sure Bill Goldberg would, would love to be able to, you know, use both sides to, to, for, for his bargaining power. And I can very much see WWE wanting to re-up Goldberg simply because AEW wouldn't want him. But if I'm AEW, I, I just don't think your brand is built on, you know, attraction as, as much as it is a combination of both attraction and in-ring quality, which I think at this point we know Goldberg can't necessarily deliver. Unless, you know, you keep them in short bursts. Um, I mean, not to say it's impossible, but for the price tag that I feel like he would be commanding, I don't really see it happening. Then uh, the women's elimination chamber match, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Nikki Ash, Dewdrop, Liv Morgan, and Alexa Bliss with the winner challenging for the Raw women's title at WrestleMania. And uh, we, we should note for, for all of the women on this show, this was not the the previous attire where they had the, the big baggy shirts, this was more so like actual, like wrestling gear, body suits, um, yeah. variation, uh, but still covered up. It, it only took them maybe like a couple of years, but they finally gave up the custom printed dollar store t-shirt look, uh, for the women, which was actually very sad to see in, in previous incarnations this time. Let, let me just say all and all the people, the team, all the the seamstresses or the, the whoever was responsible for the women's wardrobes on this show, they did a fantastic job. Everybody on this show, um, you know, on the on the on, in the women's roster, I thought looked tremendous. They actually looked like athletes in some cases, even superheroes, even the ones who don't have the superhero gimmick, came across like like actual stars, um, and, and they all looked great, especially in the Ronda match. 
Yeah. And, and that might've been outside of WWE's control in the, in the past as well. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, but still like you put some effort in the t-shirts. Like they were literally the cheapest looking printing that they weren't even selling it on like WWE shop on the last ones. Uh, so the match started off with Nikki Ash and Liv Morgan and Nikki is slamming on Rhea's pod as they had a, a face off with, with her and Rhea in a pod. Then Nikki walked up to Alexa bliss in her pod and Liv just smashes her into the pod. And we got a bit more aggression out of uh, Nikki Ash and man, these entrances were fast and furious, uh, both chamber matches. These are the two shortest chamber matches in the 20 year history of this, of this concept. And were they at least consistent? Like what were the intervals kind of all over the place? I mean, generally that like the first entrant was at the two minute mark, then at the four thirty five mark, all the entrants were in within nine minutes and 15 seconds. So it was, it was very fast. I mean, in the past, I recall it was like five minutes for the first one and maybe four some others. Some of the times it's, it's a bit lengthy. Like I I don't think the, the length of these was necessarily a, a negative, but I, I did feel like a bit of a rush to get all of the women in here uh, until we got to our final two. But nonetheless, a Dewdrop is in uh, third, and Nikki offers her hand but gets headbutted, and Dewdrop just starts beating on Liv and Nikki, and she's grinding Liv's face into the fence, yelling, "Isn't she so beautiful?" Rhea Ripley comes in, and Nikki is frightened. They climb the cage, and Rhea knocks her off, landing onto the others, Riptide. Nikki Ash is gone. First elimination. <laughs> and that's uh, the latest uh, nail in the coffin of this, uh, this former tag team. Fifth entrant is Alexa Bliss, who did not bring Lily with her. So just uh, five days after her therapist gave her this life-saving advice, she did not take it. Liv was shoved off the top turnbuckle by Dewdrop, and her knee actually got caught here coming down and uh, was holding the knee afterwards. Comes back with a sunset bomb to eliminate Dewdrop, and... Then the final entrant is Bianca Belair. Um, the highlight here was Belair doing a one-arm military press onto Liv. And then Belair and Ripley got into it. They did first, they did dual vertical suplexes. And then the two of them got into uh, an exchange of strikes, slaps. There's a KOD and Ripley lands on her feet. Liv c- comes out and hits both with double knees. And then Bliss lays out Liv Morgan, twisted Bliss. And I could just hear Liv's promo from this week that, you're going to literally have to destroy me to eliminate me. Well, the twisted bliss destroyed her and out goes Liv Morgan. You know, it's a devastating move. What can we say? Uh, Belair then is able to, uh, Rhea goes for the riptide on Alexa and Belair stops it with a clothesline, but in doing so bliss is able to DDT Ripley and then Rhea gets hit with the KOD. So Belair eliminates Ripley and we're down to Bliss and Belair. Um, they, they had a couple of minutes here. Belair missed a 450 splash, blocked the DDT, and then counters with a handspring into a moonsault. Uh, Bliss gets the knees up, and then a forearm sets up the KOD, and Belair wins. 15 minutes, 42 seconds, and it will be Bianca Belair challenging for the Raw women's title at WrestleMania. Felt like a pretty straightforward match. I, I, I certainly didn't mind the, the quick pace of it. You know, like we, to me, a match like this was really just there to get to the result because I thought the action, while I thought successful, they pulled the match off. I wouldn't say it was really more remarkable by any means, though I do feel like at least all the major players like Alexa Bliss, like Bianca, got some decent spots to, to shine. 
I thought Bliss looked pretty good on her return. So I think, you know, um, whatever she was dealing with and seems like she she's in in, in great shape to, to be able to, you know, have a, have a full return. Um, and yeah, uh, puts Bianca Belair in a Mania title match two years for, in a row. Yeah, I, I would say if if anything, I thought that the the Bel Air Ripley match on on Raw Monday was significantly more interesting than, than any kind of pairings we, we got in in this whole thing. It just felt like we had to get through a lot of eliminations in a quick amount of time, try to give everyone a modicum of shine, and it was a foregone conclusion about who was winning. Um, so I, I can't say this was a very memorable elimination chamber match, but I'm glad they went. I'm fine going with the obvious choice. You don't need to go and surprise people just because this is the time of the year where it does get kind of predictable when you can see directions that they're going. And that is that was the best outcome here with Bianca just winning in clear fashion and sets up the mania program. <laughs> Charlotte Flair and Sonia Deville against Ronda Rousey and Naomi with one arm tied behind Ronda Rousey's back. And we mentioned um, the outfits for everyone. I would say the most unique one was Ronda Rousey using her, her gi that she used to win the bronze medal in 2008, uh, wrestling in a gi for the first time. It, it was really interesting. Like on a show where, uh, you know, all the women kind of came out with like really different ideas, including I thought Naomi looked amazing in her full on psychedelic like bodysuit and her braids. She looked she looked incredible. But Ronda Rousey decided to come come out like in almost a complete opposite direction. Um, totally dressing down, I would say, and, and instead using the opportunity where you're required to cover up, you know, to put on uh, her Olympic judo gi, complete with her black belt, and even going down to uh, her la- lack of makeup, just like, you know, mm-hmm. exactly the way she looked competing in the Olympics, which I thought was really fascinating. I actually thought was really cool. I thought it was a cool idea, whoever thought of this as you know she Mm -hmm. can't wear her traditional attire and came up with something that made a lot of sense and kind of added to the match so rousey's arm is tied behind her back and deville reveals that her arm is healed and she takes off the sling flair would distract allowing deville to attack rousey and flair would tag but then get out because she's avoiding rousey rousey goes for a throw and sets up for the arm bar when flair attacks her in the good arm, sending her into the shoulder so the heels get the advantage. Flair eventually pulls her by the rope to prevent the tag to Naomi, and Flair is going to go for her own arm bar, but gets stopped by kicks. Naomi's in. Um, there was this one big miss where Naomi went for this jumping, uh, like, Hurricane Rana, and it just did not connect here with Flair, who just rolled through on it, uh, but then followed with this corkscrew Pescado to the floor. Rousey hits Piper's pit onto DeVille, stares down Charlotte as she applies a one-armed armbar and submits DeVille in nine minutes and 14 seconds as Charlotte just stayed on the apron, making no effort to save her partner. And I think doing enough to kind of keep the, they did not really do much of any kind of Rousey Charlotte involvement other than Charlotte having the brief advantage. So kind of the idea of uh, keeping those two as separate as they could in a tag scenario. Yeah, kept it fresh while at the same time, you know, continuing to build the feud by having Ronda wanting to attack Charlotte and Charlotte evading. And then even in the finish here, as, as she applied her arm slash shoulder lock on on on, uh, on Sonya, like specifically directing the threats to uh, Charlotte as she was doing it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't exactly sure how this stipulation was going to go when they announced it, because I think we saw Ronda's return and we 
at least I had some concerns about, you know, the effect of ring rust on her, whether or not she'd be able to pull off a regular match, much less a match where she had to, that she had to work with one arm. But I thought she really did. I thought this was a very entertaining match, and I thought everybody, like, did a very good job here. Ronda pulled off some really good-looking offense with one arm tied. It, in fact, I thought showcased an ability of hers that is exclu- exclusive to her and no other professional wrestler on this roster, male or female, um, that, that she was able to pull off. Like, her judo looked fantastic here. So I thought the match actually increased her value as Charlotte's opponent for me. I, I think Ronda Rousey is way more interesting when she's incorporating like her judo. I don't know if there you can necessarily have too many opponents that can do a sustained match like that, but I think that that is where Rousey can can shine and be different from everybody else on the roster, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to uh, d- do wrestling at I would say s- certainly a, a better level than than many at at her experience level. Um, but it, it's the judo side that it it feels legitimate because it is legitimate and the audience you're not trying to convince the audience. You have the audience that knows her prior background. So I think it's, it's Mm -hmm. a way to really lean into it. Um, I don't know if you can structure a whole WrestleMania match around that, but I think elements of it should certainly be present in that match with, with, uh, with regards to the Charlotte program. I thought it was a great advertisement for judo. Like, especially if you, you know, for some reason don't have the use of one of your other arms, you know, like in judo, you, you, I mean, of course, your limbs are important, but your body itself, your torso is another limb and um, her control of, of just her, her body weight and, and, and ability to to utilize it for these throws is just really incredible. So between now and WrestleMania, should we get at least one promo from Gene LaBelle? Everyone talks about Ronda having a God, mouthpiece. I hope so. Oh, yeah. that would be fantastic. Yeah. He can come on and threaten to burn someone's house down. Uh, is that a famous Gene LaBelle promo? There was... Uh, one time when we were at Cauliflower Alley and we were just getting stingers from different wrestlers for the Fight Network, and I just went up to him and explained the, the premise of identify yourself, you're watching the Fight Network. He's like, okay, okay, are you ready? Uh, this is Judo Jean LaBelle. Watch the Fight Network or I'll burn your house down. Wow. Like, perfect. Nice. That, was, that was a keeper. <laughs> so Judo Jean, maybe we will get him. Uh, there was actually one time, another Judo Jean LaBelle story was the ultimate fighter when Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate were the coaches, they did a screening of the first episode in Boston for that first FS1 card. So they invited members of the media to this screening where Ronda and Misha Tate were there to take questions. And Rousey was just, I guess, not really interested in doing a whole lot of this. And I asked what I thought was a pretty basic question of, uh, could we see any uh, appearance by Gene LaBelle in this season that you might bring in for an episode. And I cannot remember the exact answer, but she, she did not appreciate the question and was just, uh, what didn't Weird. seem too happy that day. Yes. Okay. But, interesting. But yeah. everyone's allowed to have bad days. So maybe just caught her on a bad one. So Drew McIntyre, Madcap Moss. Uh, this could have been a bad day for Madcap Moss. This was the scariest moment of the entire show mm-hmm. um, with a Falls Count Anywhere match. And Happy Corbin is out with uh, uh, Riddick Moss, Madcap Moss. Uh, also worth noting, Jessica Carr was the referee for this match. And in the early part, they go up the stage. Uh, Moss is sent into the LED screen. Corbin's getting involved, trying to prevent the powerbomb off the stage. And then they double-team Drew. 
They go back to the ring, and this is when Drew makes his comeback, throws Moss across the ring with a belly-to-belly, and then lifts him up for the inverted Alabama slam that he's done many times. But on this one, dropped Riddick Moss, who just spikes his head onto the mat. This is one of the nastiest uh, falls you are going to see. I was stunned that this man continued with this match. They showed multiple replays of this. It looked brutal with each successive replay. Um, it's like he continued the match. Hopefully he is, he is all right because this just looked so, so frightening. It really did. Yeah. Ooh. It looked like Moss just like decided to tuck instead of, you know, it's kind of like the styles class, you know, like decided to tuck on, on maybe on instinct instead of a, uh, uh, landing f- uh, face first, but uh, they must have been pretty confident, and he must have been able to communicate to, to the people in the back that he was okay because they were freely showing a replay of this all throughout. And of course, Moss continued the rest of the match. Yeah, but hopefully I he's mean, okay now. Yeah, I mean when the when the adrenaline wears off, like it was, it, like it was a really nasty uh, looking spike. But they continued, and it wasn't even a case of like everyone froze or there was this awkwardness. Like they pretty much just continued and. Um, there was a, they go to the floor where Clay, uh, Moss was thrown over the desk and suplexed, took a superplex, future shock DDT, and then Corbin enters and Drew swings the sword that Corbin ducks and Drew holds up Angela while hitting the Claymore and stands on top of Moss holding the sword in 927 and then gestured towards Corbin with the sword indicating he is next. And that looks to be where this is going and you know um fall uh head head spike aside uh i will say i i think madcap moss has looked very good in these matches with, with drew mcintyre he needs to lose this gimmick yesterday because mm-hmm. i do feel there's a lot of potential in this guy and i hope like a performance like this can show like this is a great athlete who works very hard he's he's got improvements to make of course but um like corbin to me He's at the level Corbin is going to be like, he can be happy Corbin. He can be angry Corbin. He can be broke Corbin. It doesn't matter. But Moss, I would not want to leave him in this Joker character for too long to where the audience just writes him off as some 24 seven guy. I think that there is a lot of potential in him, but he has got to lose this character. Yeah. I, I I mean, he, he should have never had it to begin with. Um, I, I, I think there's certainly talent there for sure. Yep. Um, but the thing is, he's working in a company where the in-ring talent is is not enough, you know. But this he, guy also has a look that I think would be very appealing as well on top of it. Like, he has a, a few things working for him. You would, I guess, you would think so. But, I mean, he's also working for a man who doesn't care as much about that stuff unless he he embodies a character or a sense of humor that works for him. And Vince, for some reason, is attracted to this idea of a guy telling terrible jokes. So if this is his way of getting like it's it's kind of like Chad Gable, if this is his way of like getting onto TV so that he can have matches, then I guess you take what you can get. You know, it was a this it was a win for Drew um, and, and crowd was into it, I suppose. And they uh, they set up the Corbin match for Mania, probably. So we got six more weeks. Yeah, I know. That's just a long time to get to Drew and Corbin. I hope they have some kind of idea for this beyond just mm. more jokes for six weeks. 
and the threat of uh, a sword. Maybe he's going to threaten to behead Corbin at AT AT&T Stadium. Maybe. maybe That was the tease here. Yeah. Uh, Then it was the Miz promo about uh, contacting a partner. And Becky Lynch against Lita for the Raw Women's title. Lynch came out with a, a her goat jacket, literally, because there were two goats on the shoulders of this jacket. Oh, interesting. I don't know if they're selling this one at WWE Shop. Uh, Becky took, like, the first six minutes of this match, and the idea is that she is just too good for Lita. She's dominating it. And after several Bexploders, the third one, Lita stops her and counters with a DDT. And a twist of bait gets stopped. Disarmor is countered. And Becky rolls her up, grabs the bottom rope that she's won multiple matches with. But Lita kicks the arm off and then attempts to go for a sleeper. This was uh, not quite, th- this would not get you your next belt uh, if you were applying this, uh, this rear naked choke way. Uh, not, not exactly applied, but the effort was there. Um, there's a power bomb out of the corner by Lita. And then Becky rolls away to avoid the moonsault. And then Lita did the, uh, the Trish spot with like the handstand in the corner into the Rana and then drives Becky's head into the mat, climbs up, but is yanked down. Becky gets the disarmor and she lifts her before the rope and then turns it into a manhandle slam. Lita gets her foot on the rope. Becky goes for her own moonsault and misses. She then gets hit with the twist of fate and Lita climbs up. She goes and hits the moonsault for the big near fall of the match. And then Lita just lifts up Becky to her feet and gets hit with the manhandle slam out of nowhere. And Lita is pinned in 12 minutes and 14 seconds. Yeah, the finish felt a little abrupt, but I mean... It felt way too quick for me. It was almost like Lita helped her up and then walked into her own demise. I just thought thought it was very abrupt to go from the near fall to boom, the manhandle slam. But nonetheless, I, I thought this match turned out better than I expected. I did not have uh, the largest of hopes for this one, but I would say honestly this was probably one of Lita's like better singles matches that you're going to find yeah I thought the match greatly exceeded my expectations I did not expect the Lita main event to go this length I didn't expect it to be filled with as much activity and sequences as it was and I didn't expect Lita to pull off you know half half of what she did as well after being away from the ring at least in a singles capacity for such a long time um I thought as, as far as a comeback singles match goes she had a great one and I think her offense is certainly not the prettiest. You know, her technical uh, wrestling is never going to be a strong suit. Her punches are never going to be a strong suit. But it, I, I was not I was not expecting it to. Did Lita look as good as she ever had before? I would say yes. Like, I, and in fact, I would say her timing was there. Her cardio was absolutely there. Along, of course, with her star power and her connection to the crowd. So as a baby face, she absolutely worked here. And the match, I think, was a lot better than I thought it had any right to be. Um, Even, you know, coming back for a standing ovation, which I actually felt was totally earned. It didn't feel contrived. I thought Lita, like, pulled off, you know, a a pretty entertaining match here. So do you see her sticking around? I don't think it's needed. Um, I I think this probably over-delivered in terms of what they, they hoped for. I also think this was kind of the furthest you could go for it. Like you don't have her, I think you can only do this kind of, you know, the veteran comes back, tries to go for the title loses. Like, it's not to say you can't do anything with Lita in the future. I just, there's a lot of women on this roster. I I don't know if you necessarily need to continue past this. I think, 
I mean, because she's gotten into such great shape, and because I think reviews coming off of this match, they'll 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 be very impressed by. I think you. Well, could well here's the other one. Wait, sorry to interrupt, but like, like we do know, like there was AEW interest, and again, that is going to go into your thinking. Is that mm-hmm. if we don't use you, and again, she's gotten into great shape, comes mm-hmm. out of this probably with a pretty happy result. And yeah, if they're still interested, like a Britt Baker lead a program, does WWE want to hand them that after she's just had this, this, you know, relatively nice comeback? Totally. Absolutely. You know, like, I mean, and, and even though I think the Becky match might have been the most interesting one of everybody, anybody that's around. I mean, you still have a whole roster of people. And if you needed a big opponent for uh, Bianca Belair after she wins the title. Belair versus Lita, whatever, you know, like um, Charlotte, Sasha, like take your pick, right? I mean, they shot the angle with Charlotte and then just transferred it over to Becky. And yeah. and we know how quick the thinking is. Like Lita did the rumble and then gets a call like the next day. Hey, you want to you want to come back in three weeks? So it's it could be, it's, it's not like this is, is mapped out for months. I, I, I do think she offers something because, yeah, Lita is like one of those Attitude Era level names where if you needed somebody to justify a headlining, at least, you know, title match for a pay-per-view with minimal build um, to hopefully attract maybe people that aren't watching week to week. I, I think she she is uh, uh, like an important piece of the puzzle that they can use. So uh, if she wants it, I could definitely see them picking her up and sticking around. Second from the top was the SmackDown tag titles with the Usos defending against the Viking Raiders. The Viking Raiders come down. They get jumped on the floor. It's two on one on Ivar after Eric was sent into the steps. And then they suplexed Ivar on top of Eric. The two Vikings, these two warriors are in no condition to perform. The announcers state they can physically not go. And, uh, and the, given the buildup, this was perfect. Match um, of the night. Yes. I the best match I've ever seen between these two teams. No, I'm there kidding. was not one complaint. Not at all. Like it, it, it was. This would have been a filler match anyway. The build has been pretty shit. Um, you know, stealing helmets and whatever. Like <laughs> they could have a helmet stealing contest. Hide and seek with the helmets instead. But this is really more so a TV title match than I think something that needed to pad this already three hour show out. And that takes us to the main event with Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Riddle, and Austin Theory. Elimination Chamber for the WWE Championship. So um, Theory comes out. He's taking selfies with the guys in the pods. Lesnar is out last to this incredible reaction. I would argue it was probably the loudest of the show. And he comes out last, but he is not starting the match. Instead, Theory and Rollins begin and the crowd is humming along with Rollins' theme when the bell rings. Uh, Theory's arm is wrapped around the fence as he lands a rolling elbow and then power bombs Theory into Lashley's pod, and it knocks Lashley down. The trainers come to check on him and is taken out of the elimination chamber, and their reasoning was he has entered concussion protocol. And that was it. That was all for Bobby Lashley. So they got him out of the match and explained there will be a new WWE champion, which I think everyone uh, realized where this was going to go. Um, Riddle was in uh, third at the 310 mark. Then AJ Styles at 550. Uh, Theory sent Styles and Rollins off the turnbuckle and then was hit with a floating bro. And Riddle did his Randy Orton spots, was calling for the RKO when the countdown began. And this was supposed to be Lashley's entrance. So instead, Lesnar just joined the match at that point and just runs through everybody here. F5 to Rollins, pins him. F5 to Riddle, pins him. F5 to AJ, pins him. I mean, you could just 
brand everyone here. It's like we have one superstar. We have the guy that is losing the title that we are going to eliminate from the match without branding as a loser. And then geek, geek, geek. It is unfortunate, but I thought it was awesome. Like, I, I, I think when you have like the the sort of scenario that you can pose here of having a real life Hulk just run wild on everybody after you know he's unleashed out of the cage, um, I thought this was so entertaining, you know, and that that distinction between levels of competitors was already there prior even to this match. So it was and way both can be true. Like this in a in a in a vacuum is a very entertaining, you know, monster running through everybody while at the same time it's a larger issue of just, like a Rollins for instance, like just putting him at this level. Like these are your guys that are very you are very much relying upon. Riddle, AJ, I I think they're kind of um already at a certain level to people Rollins. I see this is the guy that they had to protect last month with Roman reigns. Not so much the case three weeks later where he was just fodder here for Lesnar. But I mean, that's, that is what they are putting everything into reigns and Lesnar. But I think like there is a damaging effect here to some of your other stars when they are presented like this, but I'm just thinking of the alternative. What would you have Rollins go five minutes with Brock and even, you know, 50, 50 interaction. I, I don't think that would have been nearly as good. Well, then you could argue why was Rollins in this match? Why well, have this match at all? Why have Brock at all, at all in the match? To get the championship, obviously. So what do you do? How do you book it? How do you make Brock look strong? I mean, I, I you know, it's like you can cut. Bro- you Brock can is strong. Bro- Brock is strong before and after this. That's and he, not. And he's, he's even stronger after this. And, 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 and more, Seth more is, even, is even weaker. Like I, I. Who's the main event? Okay. Wait, that's that is fine that you're building up your main event. But you can somebody also, has to lose, okay? Like somebody has to. But we're know. not arguing about wins and losses. We're arguing about the way in which this was done. This was done in just quick succession, and this was just a quick elimination. I guess I'm just less focused on who's taking the pin in these and how quick they're taking the pin, and more on how entertaining it was to see Brock Lesnar go crazy. Okay, but last month you argued the opposite with Rollins and Reigns that you thought it was no what? problem. I argued that it was less entertaining with the finish that they did. And the argument was remind me about the finish. What was the finish where the rope break and it ended in the DQ because he did not acknowledge the five count. And the idea was like, this is Seth Rollins who you want to protect to a degree coming out of this. And that's, that's what they did. So why not just have him lose a couple of weeks ago to Roman Reigns? Yeah, that's a great question. I, that I don't know. Yeah, like I'm I don't just, know why they Rollins, didn't have a Rollins was the main one. Like Riddle and AJ, I'm less and Theory are already viewed here. But Rollins to me is like he is one of your main heels on Raw. And I think he was just kind of caught in this tornado of eliminations that it just it damages him. Unless but you exactly, view but, him. But, but as that's a great choice of word, word, that's a great choice of words, John. A tornado. Like no matter how great you are. No matter how strong your your I don't know your how big your palace is, like in the in the middle of a giant tornado, everybody goes down. And I don't think you necessarily. I don't look I don't look at Rollins as as really that much more hurt coming out of this particular match than um, I don't know, like if he wasn't a part of it. Well, it comes down to Lesnar and Austin Theory. So I don't know what the the in match betting odds were were swinging towards here, um, but Lesnar removes his gloves. Austin Theory is trapped. He tries to lock himself in a pod, 
and Lesnar kicks his way in, suplexes Theory onto the floor, and Theory gets in a low blow. That was his big moment here, and hits a DDT for a two count. Theory then tries to climb the chamber and go through the roof. He was going to try and escape. He's pulled back. They're on top of the roof of the pod, and Theory is sent off of the top with an F5 onto the ground and then rolled into the ring and pinned in 1456. Lesnar is your champion, and they go off the air promoting. Lesnar reigns title versus title, champion versus champion at WrestleMania. Yeah, um, I was very satisfied with this match strictly for that run at the end from Brock Lesnar. Everything about it I just thought was awesome. From the entrance where it wasn't even his time to come out and the man just decides to kick through the pod to come out because he was sick of waiting to the the, the you know the, the quick beat down of every single other person to the chase of Austin Theory through another pod and up the cage and almost through the cage and then that spectacular finish off the pod, um, I, I thought everything about it was was so great. It was like, you know, like a velocity, like the T-Rex chase out of Jurassic Park, and, and it, except this time the T-Rex actually wins. Uh, in theory, I thought they did a great job here, too, running around, playing the mouse for the cat to chase, and it, it was a lot of fun to watch. And after he pinned him, Lesnar gestured as if he was taking a selfie of Austin Theory, who was who was out there. And uh, j- just to uh, get the quote here, uh, Andrew Thompson did uh, recap the uh, the comments by uh, Kazim Femude, who, if you're not familiar, was a former writer uh, with WWE, and he was on the Ringer podcast. And r- after the show, he had stated that. I have it under good authority that Lashley is shoot hurt and has been hurt since the Royal Rumble match against Brock Lesnar. If you noticed, he hasn't worked any Raws. He hasn't really defended his title. He was shoot hurt at the Lesnar match at the Rumble. And again, it was, uh, or he says, I was wondering how they were going to work him in there while being hurt. And I'm assuming that this concussion protocol thing is the way to get him out there. And from what I'm told, it's at least four months shoulder surgery. So um, if, if, again, I've not been able to confirm that, but it's uh, obviously if he's facing surgery, there's, there's, there's no mania. And just given the way he was handled tonight, it would make sense to everything that that all adds up. He has not wrestled since that Royal Rumble match three weeks ago. Yeah. Interesting. And, and of course, unfortunate given the, very timing. unfortunate given uh, the timing of everything. And that was the elimination chamber. Um, I would say I, I didn't think any match on this show was at the level of, um, the Edge Rollins match at, at the last Saudi Arabia show, but I found this to be, you know, a show that went by very quick, like the three hours. I didn't think there was a whole lot of uh, downtime or elements that dragged here. It has set up a few more uh, ways for WrestleMania in terms of programs being uh, brought into and got the title change at the end. Like I, th- I thought it was like a, a satisfying show for what it was. I was not blown away by it, but it was still, you know, it was a fine show. Yeah, I would I would say it was a good show. You know, it's never it's never fun for me to praise these Saudi Arabia shows, but I'm also not going to just pan it simply because it's taking place under shitty circumstances when all the participants and people involved do such a great job and work really hard to, you know, uh put on great uh entertaining professional wrestling. I I thought the uh men's chamber match delivered and in fact I thought um, the the Ronda match was a lot more fun than I thought it it, I, it was going to be. I thought the Lita match was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So, and, and you had a really great atmosphere with a really hot crowd. And you got to use those and Viking Raiders on top of it. Uh, you almost got that, yeah. 
so we have no feedback from the actual thread, so I'm assuming a lot of people either didn't watch the show or don't have much to say about it, but I do have, believe one person was going to make a call, so let's go to Alex Francois in the chat room. Hey guys, Alex. hey again, where are you? All right. Hey, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Um, as I was mentioning while we were chatting at the beginning, it was just, uh, I was actually babysitting tonight and had the show in the background, uh, and it was my friend's five-year-old daughter. And one thing I found intriguing, she has never seen wrestling before, but she is now obsessed with Naomi after that entrance. Wow. And I think it just cool. shows, like, even though, like, you know, AEW is the wrestling company, like, when it comes to production and things, like, WWE is still, like, number one. Like, I must have seen, watched that entrance, like, 10 or 12 times tonight while she danced around the room and things. And it's just, like, it's just nice to do a bit of positive feedback because most of the things when it comes to the, especially the Saudi shows where it's a bit, questionable <laughs> everything around it and things just mm-hmm. to see like a real actual positive come out of it and it's just thought it would be nice to share rather than a bit of moaning for once from there from the wrestling audience so it, it yeah whatever they're doing you might all think it's a bit weird and you know stuff like that but um but yeah they they still have their power and know how to bring new fans in hopefully new fans in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I certainly give myself and, and our audience, you know, enough respect to understand that we can compartmentalize and understand that exactly why these shows are happening and, and, and the reasons politically, um, what exactly is going on here. While at the same time, being able to praise certain elements of the, about the show that I think actually deserves it. Maybe much like the production where I think Naomi's entrance was really made for the big stage. So that's, that's cool. Thank you for that. Alex. No worries. Uh, the only other quick question I didn't have before the show was just when you guys mentioned about Goldberg comes in, loses, comes back, loses, come, you know, gets another title shot. Like I, I was trying to think myself, but can you guys think of any way he could have been used better, maybe with either younger or less established talent, like maybe like a sort of sting has been in, in AEW, doesn't always lose, but, you know, being in the ring with them has helped many people. But uh, I'll let you guys get on. It's late, it's Saturday. Um, cheers, guys. Thanks for everything as always. Thank you for staying. Thanks, Alex. Alex. I, I mean, in this case, like you did have him coming off the the Lashley win, and therefore I didn't think it was like that much of a hurdle for people to accept this match with Reigns. You did have the history of them trying to put this match together two years ago. Um, but yeah, you, you can only go to that well so often. I think Goldberg and Sting at their ages are still very different performers, and I don't think you're going to get that necessarily out of Goldberg. And And to be honest, like I think like it's – it's been several years now that we have been getting kind of the, these Goldberg matches and they're, they're very much based upon, you know, entrance, explosive fire, short matches and people being, being into it. And, and they have had like a fair degree of success with it. it some better than others, but I think overall um, you compare this to the first WWE run. I think they have done exceptionally better with Goldberg this time around for the most part. Let's go up next to Hanzi, who has something to say. Hanzi, welcome to the show. What's up? What's going on? Um, as as a one-off, I mean, because again, I, I you know I watched you know the, and I listened to the reviews of like you know uh, the build-up to all this, right? And again, like maybe because I watched the weekly shows, like it wasn't really the most interesting card. But as a one-off, these these cards are always like I'm talking about the pay-per-views in general, like are always like kind of decent, but. I, I honestly can't say that I'm excited for Mania season. Like, even, like, at, like, when it's at its lowest a little bit, like, I at least have some buzz for Mania a little bit because I'm curious of how it goes. 
maybe Cody will come in to the build. I don't, I don't know what's going to end up happening, but like, even with Austin being teased to come back, like if he's coming back to like face, like uh, um, Kevin Owens, it's not like Kevin Owens' character has been on fire the last couple of months. It's like, it's like just about that promo he cut about like, like, you know, doing this whole comedy type of deal where he's like kind of playing down Texas. Like to me, like it just doesn't seem like even like that would be worthy. And I'm just saying that like I'm mostly I'm mostly more excited for Revolution uh, than I am for um, than I am for Mania because I feel like that has more of a Mania level build between the MGF and Punk stuff. I'm just like I'm. I'm not really into the whole Brock and Roman Reigns thing. You know, like the 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 the, the face and heel dynamic was cool for a little bit, but I'm just saying it's the same thing. You know, I, I just don't feel really excited unless they have something up their sleeve. Then maybe I'll change my mind. But as a one-off show, this is pretty pretty good. But I just I'm not really excited for Mania, and I'll just leave you guys with that. Thanks again for the show, guys. Thanks, well, thanks Hansen. I mean, it's like. Like they are throwing everything against the wall for WrestleMania. So if it doesn't have your interest, I mean, it's just, um, you know, that's, you know, some of their, you, you can certainly look at like their creative does not light a whole lot of people on fire, but in terms of, I think just general interest, I think it's going to be fairly high for this WrestleMania with the, with Austin, with the potential of Cody, with, um, you know, what they have planned with, you know, outside stars, it's, uh, I, I do feel like there's going to be quite a bit of buzz on WWE over these next six weeks with everything. Once those angles are shot, especially. Yeah. And, and all the promo and, and putting the machine behind it all and NBC putting their promotional power behind it. Um, you know, so it, it, it really is like, is, a, is, is in many ways a different product than what AEW is trying to, to create maybe a different market that they're trying to cater to. And, um, WWE at times doesn't seem interested in the type of audience that AEW seems to want. And uh, and remember that like, like Peacock just made like a huge, or we should say like NBC to promote this during like the Super Bowl. Like you're coming off the winter Olympics, uh, a huge amount of the Olympics on Peacock and WrestleMania is like one of those, like it's not a Super Bowl, but it's still, it's, it's a driver for Peacock mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. are going to be very invested in aggressively promoting these two nights of WrestleMania. And you're going to see not just the WWE promotional muscle, but the NBC Peacock muscle behind these next six, six weeks on top of it. So I think that's, that's worth following too, is the amount of integration of seeing talent on NBC properties presenting or promoting this, especially if you have an Austin in a, in a comeback match. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to chat about a, a few other news items before we sign off here, uh, starting off with uh, the Kenny Omega interview that he did with uh, Dave Meltzer and Garrett Gonzalez on wrestling observer radio on Saturday. Uh, this is a, a really, a really interesting interview that he did. It was nearly two hours in length. And I think there were, there were two major themes to it. Number one being his update on his health and the other being his uh, reaction to the Cody Rhodes news and just hearing from him about all of the, uh, the different ailments that he has been dealing with for a long period of time uh, from neck issues, knee issues, uh, the, the vertigo that we had heard him talk about in that Bow Hightower video and also an umbilical hernia that he has not had operated on yet, but is going to get done and then estimates after that procedure is done, needing probably six to eight weeks to recover after that. So he had initially hoped to be back in February. Uh, that's obviously not going to be happening when you look at the calendar. But um, 
it sounds like he will be out for quite a bit of time. And it's, uh, it is rather remarkable when you, when you hear all of these issues that had probably just become routine for him to work around instead of confront and deal with. And it seems like he's just trying to get a laundry list of issues taken care of at once. That G1 match with Okada was a long time ago. That was 2017. Oh my God. And and I mean, the man has had, I mean, he's done everything he has in that time um, while continuing to battle. Like just even whatever he's done over the past year, winning, you know, uh, what is it? Wrestling Observer, Wrestler of the Year. Um, and, and, and having a schedule, uh, within different promotions, all the travel that's included with it as well. It really is amazing. So, um, hopefully now that he has the time off, he can actually take that time up and, and, and recover to the best of, of his abilities. Cause I think we all want to see him have a very long career. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it is one thing about, you know, when we talk about how the level of pro wrestling is so high at the moment is like. The, the physical limitations that a lot of these high level performers are likely dealing with. I am sure Kenny Omega is not is- an isolated case of somebody that is working around plenty uh, to put on these performances and uh, that kind of have that obsession with being regarded amongst that, that upper class of in-ring competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other part was on Cody and this was, you know, it was interesting for a lot of reasons, mainly with, with Kenny Omega's role within the company and, and being there, not at, not at day one, but kind of phase one, because he did come in you know, several weeks after that initial press conference. But nonetheless, I think everyone associates him with like, you know, being that, that core group of uh, those that were there as AEW launched. And I think going into a whole lot more detail than Tony Khan was going to go into Uh, when you see the statements uh, when Tony Khan was on busted open on Friday, I mean, keeping it very limited and cordial about Cody and not wanting to go into any of the specifics. You got a lot more insight here from uh, Kenny Omega, who didn't believe that Cody left over money, uh, but more to do with going somewhere that was going to bring you more happiness. And he was pretty adamant that, if you're not happy, it can lead to very bad things in this industry and thinks that it was just ultimately conflicting visions of what this company would become. And however you want to couch it, like this is a company built around Tony Khan's vision. He is the be all end all. It wasn't and, always. No. And that is like a, a very important aspect to all of this is how this company was pitched to a Cody Rhodes by a Tony Khan to bring those people on board. Because if you remember, Cody was the one who said he was skeptical at the beginning with Tony Khan and whether this would be something, the route to go down, having heard, you know, all of these different startups that have tried to get something going and what was, what was promised to Cody? What was he, what was sold to him? So I think that that's worth noting as well. And I'm sure at some point we will hear more of Cody's side, but you know, Kenny stated that the Bucks and Omega, they, you know, they had a closer alignment in terms of their vision and said that, um, you know, going to war against Vincent WWE, um, that was, that was not their MO. That is not the way the Bucks and Omega kind of want to approach this. Um, and said that, uh, when Cody had his way of going about things, I wasn't sure how to follow up with that, nor was I interested. And in terms of the, like the different visions, he said, there was Kenny doing his thing, the Bucks doing their thing. And the Cody verse over there doing whatever it is that he does. And then there's the stuff that Tony does. And I, I would definitely encourage people to listen to this. So you truly get like the tone. I did not, 
I did not have this come across as like negative towards Cody, but I think it was very clear to see uh, a, a philosophical gap between Kenny Omega's vision of this company in wrestling and Cody's vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it never felt like at any point he was, uh, you know, slamming Cody or slandering him or anything like that. It just felt like a man speaking honestly. Um, and and admitted that, like, professionally, we had a very good relationship, but we, we didn't hang out. We were not, like, close like that outside of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, the, I mean, this this Cody Rhodes departure, I mean, we're still talking about it, uh, you know, like almost a week out now. And, and it's because it carries with it so many ramifications and I think so many potential insights about exactly what you know the 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 makeup of AEW was at the beginning in its for, formative years which we're still going through but you know especially when it actually began and and what the chemistry might have been between the four EVPs and Tony Khan and um also like how everything I don't think is as rosy as maybe, you know, it, it might have seemed to the audience getting so excited that this, you know, like seeing the ratings go, go do so well, seeing them defeat NXT. I mean, I would say for the most part, it's been mainly positive, but it, it's not without its criticisms. It's not w- without its its uh, 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 peaks and valleys. And, you know, now we get to learn about some of the valleys, including maybe, you know, portions of, of production that clearly were inconsistent because you had four different visions include you know between the bucks kenny uh cody and tony uh and, and you know when at some point when we do like a rewind away or like you know when a podcast comes out reviewing old old episodes of AEW knowing maybe some of the insight that we're starting to know right now we can look at it maybe from a bit of a different lens but i also think it it, it explicitly tells you like when a cody segment specifically confuses and it fails um much of that is strictly down to the guy deciding to go out there and say the things that he's saying and, and not so much the company itself. And you can envision, you know, um, Cody going out there and cutting a confusing promo. Somebody like Kenny being just as uh, unhappy with it. I don't know that specifically. I'm just saying as an example. So, um, it, it, yeah, it, 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 this is all really interesting simply because we, we get to know a bit more. I mean, I... All the stuff about Cody maybe not seeing the vision um, coming to fruition in AEW, I, I do understand if that would be a, a reason for him to leave. I don't understand why he would go to the WWE as a remedy for that. You know, like I don't see any positive to go to the WWE besides the money, uh, besides the potential exposure, maybe in a mainstream sense, if that's what he's looking for. But even that, I think, is a question mark, because if they book you like shit. Uh, how, what is that going to do for your mainstream reputation? Well, and, and again, I, I go back to, I, I think a huge part of this is what was Cody sold on versus what ultimately happened? Like what we do know is that at the end of 2019, after that, that sh- the one week where they, they did lose to NXT and that was Tony Khan's decision. And listen, Tony Khan is the one fronting this thing. Like it's, it's his family's money that is in here. It's his name that is, that is out there. And he decided to take things under control for himself. And, and I don't been better. It clearly has been better. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately you, you take that input, but you do need to have that, that final person and someone that he has a great wrestling mind. I don't think too many people are going to look at AEW and say, this is a poorly booked company. You might have your qualms with certain characters, certain stories that don't resonate with you, but as a whole, this is wrestling booking is a strength of this company. It's not a weakness. And Cody could say, listen, that that's all fine. That's what, that's not what I was sold on. 
and going to the WWE, um, that's it's as much that I didn't I did not get what I was promised here, and I'm going somewhere where it, at least I know what the game is. Um, and, and that's the game, you know, that's for Cody but, to answer. But the game has no fun, you know. It's and it's a game where you, you know you might not even you know get a starting position. Like at least it's not a guarantee. Oh, it's a so. it's a risk. Like if 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 it's not about the money, and you're talking about um, just um, professional satisfaction um, with, with your work. Um, it, it's a huge gamble going to WWE that you will be creatively fulfilled. And I mean, Kenny does mention, okay, maybe Cody would have outside interest, you know, even outside of the professional wrestling industry. Um, and, and that could very well be part of his thinking. I mean, I imagine it has to be part of his thinking that that seems to be the trajectory of, of his career doing, you know, as much as he is between the reality show and the game show. But even then, like he's not strictly giving up a wrestling, a prime wrestling role on a, on, a, on, a, on a, in a promotion that he's founded. He's not just giving up a backstage role that he would foreseeably have for life. He's also potentially giving up that relationship with TNT, where he's on that game show. Potentially giving up the reality show gig as well. So, um, I I just don't really see the benefit other than money. But yeah, we, we should also mention. I guess I guess tonight, just before seven p.m. on his Instagram story, he did throw up this this image. And I mean, I I feel this is just you know being sent out there to to draw everyone's attention. But he put up a a, a photo of his child with the dog and just wrote, "This is what retirement looks like." So. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really read into uh, social media posts as any kind of uh, uh, grand uh, direction uh, being revealed. But nonetheless, he did uh, post that on Saturday night. So it, it's a very insightful interview on many fronts. I think the Cody stuff is going to get the most attention because I, I don't see anyone else in kind of in that inner circle, pardon the pun, in AW um, going that deep into the mm. story. And the only other one I could see is Cody. And I don't know. Um, I don't know when he maybe will opt to kind of share his side. And, and, and I think, you know, he may have a very, I'm sure he has a very valid side for, for himself here. And on top of that, the fact that, you know, what has been reported is that, you know, there was an option that, you know, if, if this was an option that it was Tony Khan's to, to enact mm-hmm. opted not to. And by not doing that, it could certainly create, issues like with your network partners that are invested in this guy much more than just a character on your wrestling franchise. Like this guy was, he was the one that they have really earmarked as the one we are going to plug from AEW and promote across the network. And we have all these commitments and you're telling me that our go big show judge is now on the other wrestling competitors network and not on ours. Like that Mm -hmm. is, and, and maybe it was just a sign that, listen, we have, we have gone through several years here. We're at different places philosophically. Maybe it is best that we just go our separate ways. And that it, it, that's publicly how it's been presented. But of course, that there's going to be many questions uh, with, with such a major move like that. It, it, it is a bit of a messy breakup, isn't it? You know, as cordial as I, I, I think, you know, the two parties seem to be right now. I mean, there, there's just so much entrenched with Cody Rhodes's own uh, uh, businesses and, and financials uh, and, and everything else attached to the DNA of AEW, you know, like even talking about the Nightmare Factory and his brother being a head coach of of, of one of the, you know, of, of their burgeoning talent. It's just so much is tied in together that I, I feel like we'll continue to see the ramifications of down the, down the next few weeks. 
Uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, go over the main event uh, from the New Japan show in Hokkaido on Saturday morning. It saw Sonata win his first singles championship in New Japan, winning the U.S. title from Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, I-, I thought this was a really enjoyable match. It went uh, 29 minutes and 26 seconds, but I thought the pacing was very strong. The idea here was that uh, Sonata was able to beat Tanahashi in a technical wrestling match. And they they built this around, you know, Tanahashi consistently going after the knees at one point, even put Sonata in his own uh, paradise lock, uh, busted out the aces high to the floor. And, uh, you know, technically like this was a very strong match between these two. Um, The the closing stretch saw uh, Tanahashi hit the twist and shout multiple times, followed by a sling blade, but then Sonata rolled through on the aces high into a TKO hit the moonsault on Tanahashi's back and then goes for a follow-up moonsault, misses it, and Tanahashi then had his own miss and uh, with the high fly flow and got caught with the Japanese leg roll clutch at 29-26. And they put this over as like such a signature win uh, for Sonata in his career, uh, defeating Tanahashi and winning his first singles title. And the show also saw uh, Goto and Yoshihashi retain the tag titles over Evil and Yujiro, the junior heavyweight tag team four-way resulted in Taguchi and Master Wato uh, winning the belts from Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask. Uh, the match also featured Desperado and Kanemaru and Taiji Shimori and El Fantasmo. Uh, those were the top matches. And then tonight's show, which starts at midnight Eastern, has the Kazuchika Okada Tetsuya Naito match for the IWGP title and the dog cage match between Minoru Suzuki and Toru Yano as your top matches in Hokkaido. Hearing a lot about, about this dog cage match, maybe more so than some of these other matches. So, yeah, maybe we'll uh, discuss a bit of that on uh, the next time. Yes, there's uh, there's lots going on tonight. There's uh, Impact's got their No Surrender show. GCW has a show. UFC, Bellator, AAA, Ray de Reyes, Pack Night. Uh, but we are going to wind things down, and that is going to wrap up our Elimination Chamber post show. So thanks to everybody uh, for tuning in live. Uh, what is on the site way as we speak? We have uh, on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed, which is actually this particular show is accessible to anybody who goes there at postwrestlingcafe.com. You can check out the latest edition of Postmarks, which is our show that profiles members of the post wrestling audience. In this case, one of the post wrestling hosts in Chris, the Professor Ely, Chris from L.A. Many of you will have recognized from uh, way back, you know, frequent caller to the law and now contributor on the Nubian Wrestling Advocates here on Post. But this is a podcast where Bruce Lord and David Myers uh, just basically interview, uh, you know, longtime listeners of the show about how they got into the uh, uh, professional wrestling uh, as a fan, how they got into podcasts, at least being a fan, how they got into hosting podcasts in, in this instance. And in Chris's case as well, uh, getting to a bit about, you know, his um, uh, uh, recent health struggles as well and providing us an update on that. So uh, great job, Bruce and David on, on Postmarks and postwrestling.cafe.com is where you can go and download that show. All right, you can check out all of that. Way and I will be back Monday at 1 Eastern for the post-daily news update and then rewind to Raw Monday night at 11.15 Eastern, uh, which should be a pretty noteworthy Raw as they you know narrow in now on the, the picture for WrestleMania with uh, six weeks to go and, and where everything go- goes next. I mean, as Cody Watch, I feel like Cody Watch began today. Do you think uh, the speculation will be that much higher on Monday? Certainly, yes. Yes, I think I think that everyone is going to be focused on it. What what would you think would be the most uh, valuable way to introduce him, just in terms of 
I know a lot of people think like the surprise route is the best way to go. I, I, I think like the idea of teasing it ahead of time would be wise. Like, I think he's a big enough one. Why not that do I, both? Why not do the announcement on Raw? Or at least like have him like do what they used to do. Have him pop up. And then next week is when he delivers a message. Yeah, that, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Like whether you run a vignette or something that Cody is coming. Like that's the way I would go. I think just showing up unannounced, like like milk this. Like it's it's a huge story. Let people wait for it. And like I, I think that the like the the CM Punk template is you know that you dangle something out there, let people know what's coming, mm-hmm. and you still get like huge reaction and you have the attention because people know what's coming. Here's a question: Would you put him on Raw or SmackDown? Um. I guess it, it depends on where the best program is. Like SmackDown just feels so loaded with, with stars at the moment that they like from Ronda, like Brock and Reigns, you figure that will be mainly housed on, on SmackDown. Probably both shows given that they're both champions on both sides. Right. And on top of it, you don't have a championship on raw. So like you could certainly see Austin and Owens being built on raw mm-hmm. and, and Cody being on raw certainly makes this show like that to me supersedes a title which you are in theory without for six weeks mm, yeah will be interesting uh so that is happening on on monday night we will chat with you then have a great weekend and that is going to wrap up our post show bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in maryland turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code old line 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.